Welcome to Being Human. This week's guest, I'm delighted to say, is Luke Kite, Head of Operations for Redico. Now, Luke, you contacted me on LinkedIn. It sounded like you were interested in, in, in the podcast. I, I read a bit more about the Redico story and was really captured by this idea of you know, another company out there attempting to create a, a culture without managers. And yeah, as absolutely. I understand it, you're the, the head of the cultural revolution for Redico, uh, a marketing agency here in the UK. Uh, yeah. well, should, should we kind of go, go back to the genesis of you joining Redico and, and kicking off this, this mission? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thank you for having me on, Richard. Um, it's great to be part of this. Um, and it's, it's a great opportunity to kind of explain what we've been doing as a company and, and the cultural place that we've come to now. So going right back to the beginning, I joined Redico when there were sort of three or four people. And we've kind of had natural progression, I suppose, from, from a client side. We, we deliver great work, building up a really healthy um, sort of portfolio of really big clients around the UK. So from a work side, everything was going really well. We were doing all the kind of natural things that you would do to try and instill culture, which was get a table tennis table, have like a beer fridge, go for nights out, all that kind of stuff that everyone looks at culture initially and goes, oh, that's great. That's going really, really well. It then got to a point where we suddenly realized that actually things maybe weren't as great as they seemed. So we were doing things such as an NPS, internal NPS score. And we were having out of a team of sort of 10 or 11, sort of four detractors, which is only a six out of 10. But it was showing that actually we weren't really hitting the nail on the head when it comes to culture. We may well have been doing all the kind of superficial things, but when it comes to kind of deep ingrained culture and engaging the, to the team, it wasn't really working. It wasn't really having an influence. So what we and did was kind of... NPS score, just for people who may not be familiar with that. Yeah, sure. So the NPS score um, is called the Net Promoter Score. And what it is, is a survey that gets sent out. You can do it to clients or you can do it internally. And you get rated from one to 10 of how likely you would be to recommend the agency to a, to a friend or colleague. And one to six or zero to six is a detractor, which is seen as someone that could easily be influenced to move away, whether that's a team member or a client. Sevens and eights are passive, so people that aren't overly happy, aren't disengaged, are kind of that, that middle ground. And then nines and tens are regarded as promoters, so they actively promote the brand, they're actively engaged in what they're doing. And what we found was that despite all the stuff we were doing as a company, we still have people floating around the six mark. So even though a six out of 10 doesn't initially sound too bad, it was dragging down the overall score of the net promoter score and just, just showed us that we were still missing something in culture. Um, so what we... The tennis tables weren't cutting. No, the tennis table, the tennis table and the, uh, the beer fridge, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't cutting it, unfortunately. Okay, uh, so, so, so you... Did, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, no, so, yeah, so basically yeah. what we did was we came up with a manifesto. We looked at exactly what we we're doing. We wanted to kind of come up with a system where we changed the big business rules. And what we've done over the last few years or the last 18 months or so is challenge traditional business structure and, and the way that businesses run. So your traditional nine to fives, you come in at nine, you finish at five, you have this amount of holiday, you have this amount of paid sickness, you get given a manager, you don't have any choice in what you're doing. We looked at all of that and thought, why is it that a lot of companies operate in this way? Why can't we challenge this, this system, challenge the way that people do things and create an environment where actually everyone has control of what they do and is therefore responsible for what they're doing, um, 
just has real control over everything they're doing and actually engage the team in the company, the company's vision and purpose and give everyone a voice and that real responsibility over their work, their time and everything they do at Redico. Right. And because what's interesting as well about your story is you've led this, but not, you know, and I know what you're trying to do here is not have a top per se, but not mm. from the top, right? So you weren't the found, you weren't one of the founders, you were employee number four or five, did you say? Yeah, yeah. And so how did that conversation get? Did they like say, just go for it, Lou? Did you have to overcome some resistance there? Or, or how did that dynamic work? <laughs> so my, my background's quite interesting because I, I, I initially joined the company as a content writer. So I've got a background in journalism and content writing. And so I joined as like a head of content type role and built a team out of content writers, a content marketing team, and then started to shift over towards more of an operations role. So I'm always, I'm, I'm, well, my, one of my strengths is around strategy and ideation and coming up with ideas and implementing things and getting results. And I suppose the founders sort of, well, Nick, Luke and Craig started to understand actually that was a position that fitted me better than in a content team. I was better placed in operations role. And so at the time when the manifesto was being produced and the framework of what we wanted to do was, was being created, they just came up to me and said, right, we want you to do this. And at first, I had, to, I had to try and understand it because some of the stuff we do and have done, people look at it from first glance and go, oh, that'll never work. Like, that's never going to work. You cannot do that. And I was exactly the same at one point. So I think back to sort of 18 months ago when I first looked at the manifesto and I sat there thinking, I don't know how people are going to have sort of a self-regulated, unlimited type holiday, how that's going to operate. How are people going to be able to choose their own managers? How are people going to be trusted to have as much sick as they, as they can take throughout the year and get fully paid for it? I was, I was on that, that, on that board where I didn't really understand how we could implement that into a company and it not fall apart. And, but I took it as a challenge. Uh, I, I love challenges. I love the idea of being able to, just throw myself into something and really go at it and eventually I've become a real advocate <laughs> so I've gone from being a non-believer to just an advocate of actually giving the team ultimate control and and how was the manifesto written um yes the manifesto essentially was a sort of 20 page document um taken on inspiration from things such as Maverick and Henry's happy manifesto um the, the great game of business all those kind of real business books where people challenge the system and challenge the way that things are done and just taken from a, a place where this is what we're doing now. This is how we want to create the rules. We want to, uh, to operate on a, a place where self-regulated teams work best, where people feel good about themselves and they're more engaged and they're, they're working best at those kind of environments and just taking all of those, all of our experiences from the past and what was going wrong currently in terms of culture, turning it on its head and trying to work out how we could eliminate all those problems. So, how we could eliminate a chain of command where it's, can I take this day off or can I work from home or can I work these hours? Whereas in a traditional business, you would go to your line manager and say, can I take tomorrow off or can I work from home? And one manager might say yes, and then one might say no. And so what you end up getting is really all real inconsistencies across the company. And it was one of the things as well we started to find is team members would say, well, why is it fair that this person can have the day off or why can this person work from home and, or start later and, and not be not have any repercussions, but I can't. So it got to a point where it was right, let's just open it up, let everyone have control of what they're doing and remove all the, all the kind of barriers and the blockages that are creating a healthy, engaged culture um, and just go from there and see what happens.
And but was it a crowdsource manifesto, or did the founders make a start with it? You know, I'm just interested in how that came yeah. into being. Yeah, so it, it was very much the, the the founders, I suppose, really kind of started to compile that document with help and support from the team around them. So asking the team what they wanted, what they wanted to get from it, why they weren't engaged, looking at those NPS scores and seeing what was the real issues around scoring a, a nine or a 10 as opposed to a six or a seven. So how could we really engage that team and create a better atmosphere for, for the team to work? So looking obviously at the kind of the books that I've said, um, just general research and speaking to people, uh, talking to people such as Henry face-to-face and on the calls and stuff and, and really just join inspiration from all avenues. Yeah, that's interesting because Henry is a Henry Stewart's previous guest on the podcast. So you you got him actively involved, right, on calls and so on. To, to share yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah, yeah. He was um, yeah he was definitely an influence. Obviously, the Happy Manifesto book. Just speaking to him about how things have worked. I still talk to him quite regularly as well because they're still I suppose pioneers in the whole um, choosing your own manager type coach role. And I still kind of seek information from him about how it's working, how we could have influenced it when we did do it, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it was. A lot of people have had a bit of inspiration and insight into uh, kind of help to, to collate that manifesto or that original manifesto because it, it, it's changed and it's evolved since. Obviously, in the very first place, it was a plan. It was a proposal. This is, this is the vision. This is what we want to do. But now we've done it. So that manifesto is kind of, uh, it's redundant now. So now we need to rewrite it to be like, this is how Redico works. Because initially it was right. We want the team to set their own goals but we didn't know how we were going to do that yet. So we had to find the right goal setting system to be able to do that, that would work in, in the company. So everything was very much like, this is what we want to do, but we're not really sure yet how we're going to do it. And I suppose my role then was to take the ideas and implement it, find the right solution, find the right way of doing it and the right way to, to create that engaged team. Wow. And um, what was, what was the, of, of all the things you tried to impl- implement then, what was the, toughest one would you say funny enough probably the, the whole choosing your own manager type coach role um, when I first started rolling out the manifesto I put it all into priority order so I tried to work out what would be the easiest thing to write like what we could do first because the last thing you want is to announce to the team you're going to make all these amazing changes you're going to change the company and then they don't see anything for nine twelve months because all that does it, it starts to demotivate people you lose all the kind of momentum that you've built up from the initial excitement of this is what we're going to do. So I wanted to make sure that we were implementing things sort of regularly, like constantly changing things, tweaking things, adding new sort of policies into what we were doing at Redico. And one of the hardest things for me to get my head around was actually choosing your own manager. So we, we removed managers completely. And so it was choosing someone as, as a coach, I suppose. So obviously before we, we were operating in a very sort of hierarchical type business system. So you'd have a, a, a content manager or a PPC manager or an SEO manager you'd have people under them but what we wanted to do was allow people to yeah choose our managers because apparently 49 percent of people would take a pay cut um uh, sorry let me get the stat right so 49 percent of people would rather take a pay cut to have a different manager than their current one uh, which just shows that there's we're kind of we're giving the whole of the country bad managers we're forcing really bad managers on people and that was something we didn't want to do. We didn't want someone just to be given a manager who were then unhappy with and would consequently leave the company because of poor or bad management because it wasn't clicking. So we wanted to completely wipe managers off of it. Um, we implemented the coach system whereby you choose your own coach. So we now have department leads and coaches. So a department lead is someone who is responsible for growing a department. So they are the best in sort of strategy 
strategy, goal setting. They're, 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 I suppose typically your, your old type manager who would be leading a department, making sure that the work standards were good, but they wouldn't be involved anymore in sort of the personal aspects of things like a manager would be. So now people choose their own coach who is there to support them, to help find them train opportunities, um, to empower them, to motivate them, to really get the most out of them and find their strengths and how that person can continue to improve. And you choose your own coach. So there are a, a group of coaches who, well, a group of people who put themselves forward from a coach and then you, you pretty much just pick which coach you think would work best with you and everyone's kind of find the person that actually has clicked with them. So removing that manager system completely and just having someone that you can go to to find that support and help and motivation that you need to continue doing a great job whilst that department lead is just there literally just to, to grow that department and make sure that that department keeps moving forward in the right place. Okay. That, that, this is, sounds fascinating. So you're, you're in one of those sort of manager-esque roles, right? You, you said you're head of operations. Yeah, so yeah. you're presumably growing. So what are you responsible for growing? Um, yeah, so I'm not a coach at all. So I didn't put myself forward. Uh, <laughs> so basically, at the moment, I'm only effectively the department leader, one person who, who work, also works in the operations side. Uh, my responsibility is to look after the whole company from a very kind of people operations, work operations type role, sitting under the managing director. So obviously I have an influence on, on most of the company and how the processes work and how things are working and how the company is moving forward. But I've taken myself away from that position where I'm actually someone that people go to for support and help and mentorship because at the time I didn't feel I was, I didn't, I had, didn't have the time to kind of offer people that opportunity so I wanted people to have someone that they could go to when they wanted to and the whole idea of the coaching is actually twisting it around and rather than forcing people to have catch-ups you only have a catch-up and talk to your coach when you want to so you end up choosing when it is that time is needed for you to, to find that support from your coach um, right. so yes yeah, so while I while I sort of do have I suppose fingers in all the pies to make sure the company is progressing well I don't deal with people on, on a personal type supporting role anymore so what happens then if you're in a position where you want to you know, change something in operations or, and you feel that you know, an individual or a few individuals, um, their behaviours, their performance, you know, whatever it might be, some aspect of how it is that they're operating is, is holding you back. How does that conversation work? Because, of course, in the traditional mode, you would be their manager and you would go to them and you'd have a conversation and you'd say, you know, pull your socks up, sunshine, you know, we need, <laughs> we need X or Y to happen. That's off the table, yeah. right? As I understand it. So how, what are the mechanisms you have for, for getting what you want to happen, happen? Uh, well, again, I suppose it's all in the belief system. So we believe that everyone is, is, is coming to work and doing the best they can and working to the best sense they can because the whole idea was about creating a more engaged teams. So fortunately, that scenario hasn't quite presented itself yet. But I suppose if, if it did, it would just be a case of, more people working together to resolve a situation. So that person's coach, so say there was someone who wasn't performing or was performing poorly or needed an extra sort of kick to get, to get going. It's that coach's responsibility to really find out what the issue is, whether it's that they're not enjoying their work, whether it's that they need more training or more support from, from the leadership team around them or from themselves or from their department lead and the team and really kind of understanding what that problem is and maybe even talking to me about those situations as well. So we try to operate it so that anyone can talk to anyone. So even though you do have a, a coach in place, you do have a department lead, we still want to keep it so that 
the communication can flow throughout the company. So everyone is able to talk to anyone. If you want to talk to the MD, you can talk to the MD. There isn't sort of closed doors or anything like that. So at the moment, we're only sort of 21 people. It's still in a place where anyone can talk to anyone. Those kind of problems can be resolved quite quickly, I suppose. Um, and we can get to the bottom of what it is that's holding that person back and why that person's not, not performing. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, does that make sense? So it sounds like a key, obviously a key relationship there is with that individual and the coach, and you might have a conversation with them, but you might absolutely others involved around around the issue, as opposed yeah. to that sort of one-on-one -on -one manager to absolutely. To it's just it's just to remove that whole blockage of someone being directly responsible and normally someone that you haven't chosen to be responsible for you, which is what the, the problem is. Because if you think back to a, a typical example, say you've got someone who is a really good salesperson. And every single month they smash their targets, they, they perform well, they, they go over and above, they're the best salesperson in that team. The sales manager leaves and the chances are that best salesperson will go for the job and could well land the promotion. They could become the sales manager. And great, they're really good at sales, so that's all they need, right? Just to be good at sales, just to, to be the best salesperson. But actually what they've got now is nine, 10 people under them who are looking to that person for support and motivation. And that person might not be the best person to actually give that person what they need to, to, to continue growing and growing that team and growing, making other people better salespeople. Just because they're good doesn't mean that they can make everyone else as great as them. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to cut those boundaries and make sure that you could choose someone who was right for you. Right. And actually, I read some research somewhere that suggested it was actually a negative correlation. The obvious, often the best performers, and I think it's sales was the example, actually... Okay are the least uh, effective managers and yeah. coaches. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But probably because they're people that are great at what they do are so kind of, um, I can't think of the word, but they, 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 their full focus and concentration is being great at their job and being the best as they can be, rather than having that full view of what's going around them and making sure the rest of the team can catch up and become just as great. And um, so it does make sense. Right. And so how does the relationship with your coach work? I mean, how, how often are you, are you meeting them? Yeah, what, what, what does that look like? Yeah, um, so, so the coaching, I suppose, is very much up to the individual to choose how that works. So, for instance, my coach actually is the MD. So Nick Redding um, is my coach. And I schedule meetings as and when I see fit, sort of on a, whether it's a, a weekly, whether it's a monthly basis. Outside of that, the only minimum that you have to do is a quarterly appraisal. So obviously in a traditional business, you would probably have an annual appraisal where at the same time, people would talk about salary increases and it would just be a, this is what you've done well, this is what you've done badly type situation. We wanted again to scrap that annual appraisal, bring in quarterly ones that are done with a coach rather than a department lead and make it a real positive experience. So talking about the strengths, what you're enjoying about the role, what you want to do next, sort of what you've, some great work you've done over the last quarter, sort of those, those key skills that you want to grow, what training do you want to do next? So what, um, what feedback from your 360 reviews surprised you and, and what you're going to work towards based on those 360 reviews? So all, to make it a real positive experience because a lot of people going to annual reviews dreading them because it's, it's a chance to sit down with that manager who they might not necessarily get along with and just be told what they've got to do next or how well they've done. We wanted to create that experience where actually it's a real positive thing you go in there looking forward to it and, and just kind of get the most out of it as possible. So for, for me, uh, I, I just pick 
um, general catch-ups on a sort of bi-weekly, maybe every three weeks, just to kind of talk over things, think talk about what's going to happen next. And then I'll just have that quarterly appraisal um, just to kind of clock in and make sure that we're really focusing on, on the positives and the strengths and, and what I'm going to do next and, and where I'm going to take the business next from, from the operational side. Right. And, and how does the money work then? So do you have a bonus system? Do you have raises? And, and how does that all work? Well, funny enough, we're actually in the, in the middle of implementing a profit share system. Uh, system. So before that, we, previously, we've not had any kind of like bonus type system. What we do have is an annual retreat. So we've just come back from Oslo. So uh, every, every year based on performance and normally client NPS score, if we hit the, hit the targets, we all get to go away for like a long weekend. So in the past, we've been to Budapest, Barcelona. Last year, we went skiing in Austria. And on Monday, we came back from Oslo. So we went from Friday to Monday, which was a great weekend with the whole team. So that, that I suppose, is the bonus system at the moment. But we're keeping that and also moving to profit share as well. So now we've got in place, um, I suppose, typically, if we go back in the past, what, what happened was the founders and sort of the, the original people were doing a lot of the work. So it didn't feel right at that time to offer kind of profit share systems when actually there's only sort of the revenue is only coming from two or three people. So because these people are kind of staying up till sort of 12 one in the morning, trying to start a company, um, taking on the big clients, getting things through the door. But now we've got to a place where that revenue is more evenly split. We've got that more engaged team. Everyone's kind of acting in the best interest of the company. We can start looking at ways that we can start distributing that, that wealth, I suppose. And so that's where the profit share comes in. So we're still in the process of ironing all the little final details out. And hopefully over the next quarter or so, it should be something that can roll out over a quarterly or annual basis. Okay. And, and do you still expect there to be an individual element of that? Or will it be more John Lewis style? For, that's a UK retailer where they just have one percentage bonus for the, or not, depending on their performance, for the, for the whole company and it's a percentage of their salary. Is it something like that or... Uh, is, is it something else? I want to do it. Uh, so I believe that it's going to be a case whereby everyone gets exactly the same. Um, so whatever's in the pot to be split as a salary, everyone gets an equal proportion of that because I also believe that you're paid a salary for the job you do. And the bonus is, is an equal kind of contribution from the whole team. So I don't, I don't think that people should be taking a biggest share of that pot. Um, when everyone works equally hard. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be, be, it'll be, it'll be a shared, a shared pot. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's interesting. And and it will and that and there'll be no individual bonus. Uh, you know, according to your own performance, that you won't have that. There, there could be ad hoc bonuses. So, for instance, think, if someone yeah. did, if someone did do, so I don't know, they they performed completely over and above. They brought in sort of a, a huge client. They spoke at an event, raised real awareness for Redico. They um, built a new software tool that brought in X amount of money. There could be ad hoc bonus type things for that. Cool. Yeah. Just a profit share one would be one that we know how that would work. Yeah. Interesting. So, so we've talked money. We've talked to the, 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 the managerless <laughs> office and pick your own coach. Yeah. Um, anything else, any salient aspects of the, of the culture that you've implemented so far, so far that you'd like to share? Yeah, um, so the biggest one I think for me is the self-regulated leave. So the ability to kind of cut back on, on saying that people can only have 20 days annual leave every year and giving people effectively, we don't like to call it, but unlimited holiday. So you can take as much holiday as you want. 
you also have the opportunity to work from home whenever you want. You can choose your own hours. So if you want to, you can work from 12 till eight. You can work from eight till four. You can work at night if you want to. Whatever it is, you have that real responsibility to manage your own time as and when you see fit. So all of those three things kind of work together because, again, we're believing that everyone's doing the best job they can and knows themselves better than anyone else. So they know when best they work. So what surprises me is a lot of companies still operate on an 8 till 4.30 or a 9 till 5 type system and, and force everyone, condition everyone to work those hours when actually, I don't know, John Smith might work best in the afternoon or in the evening or he might be a, yeah, like a night owl. So he, he's, his best time is cracking on at sort of 6, 7 o'clock at night rather than at 8 in the morning. So we looked at that and, and, and just thought, why does everyone condition people to work these set hours why do we have this kind of rule around a nine to five when yeah everyone could be regulating themselves and know themselves best so we implement a sort of self-regulated annual leave so you can take as much leave as you want um, there is no real rule around that so there's no there's, i think there's a few guidelines around clients and making sure that communication with clients is maintained and, and everyone knows what's going on from a team side but you have real control over what you do and, and how you operate from, from that side of things. I know on the unlimited leave thing, there's been some research that suggested that people ended up taking less leave because there was this kind of, there was this competition amongst peers to actually have as little leave as possible. And so when you made it unlimited, people actually ended up taking less leave, which obviously did point, you know, defeated the purpose to some extent. If you, what, what pattern has emerged for you or is it a bit too early? Yeah, so it's not, it's not the first time we've heard that. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people have said a question that, and I kind of use the same, I suppose the same argument each time is that why would people not have, why would people not take the most of the holiday given to them? And normally it's because they would be unsure they could take it. They would still feel like it, it's something that isn't really there. If they take it, they're still going to be judged. There could be consequences for them taking it. So it's the mind frame of how, it's the mind frame of the individual, which then becomes the business's responsibility to change that mind frame and actually lead from example and show people they can take annual leave. And it's not a competition. It's not a game. You're not going to be punished or there's not going to be consequences for taking more annual leave. The whole idea is, again, you know yourself better than anyone. You know when you need a break. You know that if you've worked really hard on a project, you need, might need to take extra time off. If you want to see your family, take the time to see your family. Maintain that work-life balance. I think people would only not want to take that time because they're still feeling pressured with work and, and, and the responsibilities that um, just, 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 I suppose, yeah, what other people would view of them and how they're using it. So as long as we communicate from the top, actually, it's absolutely fine if we take holiday. I mean, so far this year, I've taken most of annual leave. <laughs> so... Um, I think it's just, it's just interesting. Sure People uh, interested. Yeah, so I think so far I've already had sort of, well, I've booked about 25 days off from so far between now and June. Um, so that's already more than I would have had last year. Um, so it could well be, it could well be 50 by the end of the year if that goes up. So happy days. Quite, quite, absolutely, yeah. So uh, I'm just sitting at home twiddling my thumbs most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's good. It's, it's just a way of making sure that people feel trusted. They feel that they can do what they need to do to maintain that work-life balance. And I know a lot of people now implementing things like four-day weeks, which is, is a great, great thing to do. Obviously, it's great that people are recognizing that people can be just as efficient in, in fewer days. But I always feel that with the four-day week, what's happening is you're going from conditioning someone to a nine-to-five, five-day week. 
to conditioning them to four days a week. So there's still some kind of rules and structure and, and guidelines in place. Whereas if you give people the freedom to actually choose when the time is they want off, it just gives them that more flexibility to manage their life better. So rather than having Monday off, Friday off, why can't they take Tuesday off? Why can't they take Wednesday off? Why can't they have two days off in a row? Why is there still those kind of rules and guidelines? And the reason there is, is because you don't trust the team. So the first thing you have to do is trust your team to be doing the best they can do to basically drive the business forward and to make sure that their work is always the best it can be. And as long as you trust people to do that, there's no reason why you should be afraid of, of implementing that. Mm. Okay, another, another common question I, think I can imagine from skeptics here. Want, you know, how do you fire people? Um, okay, yep, so actually we, we've implemented a, a very different system. So we, one of our concepts is to let people leave well. So we've already had it in the past as well. So we, we got to a point where there was someone in the team who probably wasn't in the right role for them. So they weren't really as engaged as everyone else. Um, they, they weren't really right in the role they were doing. And there wasn't really another role we could open up for them to do. They were a great team member. They, they enjoyed sort of being part of, of the Redico culture and going on nights out and things like that and getting involved in the team. But from a, from a work side, they just weren't as engaged. And there wasn't really another role at the time that we could open up for them. So what we've done as part of the manifesto to, and to let people leave well is to just sit down with, with whoever that person may be, talk to them about the problems. And what you'll find is mutually, there'll be an understanding that this isn't actually going where it should be. And it's not a case of, right, okay, you're out the door. So we sit down, that person sits down with our recruiters. So obviously we recruit um, for new roles anyway. So they sit down with the recruiters, they help them to sort out their CV. They start talking to them about what exactly is it they want, what they're more passionate about, what they want to do next in their career. And we give a, a large window to help that person move on and to find the right next job. And the person in question found a new role. So it was over a three month period. I believe it started in sort of yeah, early last year. They sat down with our recruiters. They sorted out their CV, got interview techniques, went for a range of different interviews with, with careers that they wanted to do and eventually landed a job and left on good terms. And that's how he wants to see it. So there is a problem that comes up. Again, say someone is taking the mick out of the, the generous policies that we do offer. They're only doing it because they're not engaged in their work. They're only doing it because they're not actually enjoying their time with the company. They, they want to, uh, I don't know, whatever it is they're doing, they're, they're not engaged in their work. So anyone can see that. We'll be able to spot things early. The team around them can raise up flags, whether it's in 360 reviews, however it's done. And you can then start having conversations of, is this the right role for you? If it is the right role for you, what can we do to support you more to help you get the most out, whether it's training, career, like where, where does that career progression lead to? Is there a role we can open up? And if it's not Redico, if, if that's not the right place for you, we will help you find a new role that is and is it's your preferred destination. Hmm. Yeah, and that, that's very consistent with what Henry Stewart said when when he came on the podcast uh, from Happy Limited and Nikki Gattenby when she talked about the, the cultural mm. propeller net. That seems to be a commonality in these cultures, perhaps, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely, because we, we just want to create a culture where everyone feels free to be themselves. We don't want people to be hiding or pretending to be anything other than what they are. So if they're unhappy, we want to know they're unhappy. We want to be able to talk to people and understand that. So we don't want things to be locked up and hidden. Um, so people come to work for different face on. So we can then spot things and make sure that, that there's a nice smooth transition, both for the team, for us, and for the individual as well. Right. And where are your MPS scores now? If, if, what what mm. did you say you were at the start when there were 10 of you? 
Yeah, so so when there were sort of ten of us, there were there were three or four detractors. So we would have been down around sort of the, the forty mark, I suppose, and which was a, a good, I think it is, uh, in the scale. So I think it goes from minus one hundred to plus one hundred is the, is the, is the range. Anything under zero is um, poor or below expectations. I think something like zero to fifty is good. Fifty to seventy is excellent, and seventy to one hundred is world class. So from an internal side, the internal NPS. We've gone from sort of 40 up to 94, so world-class. So I think I was talking to Henry actually the other day and he said that's the best score he's ever seen. Um, and that was 15, because obviously I, I don't do it and the directors don't do it either. So that was 15 promoters and one passive. Why don't you, why don't you uh, do well, <laughs> well, I don't do it because I, I don't want to um, twist the results because I know that I'm really happy where I am. And I use the NPS as a way to monitor I'm basically unhappy is to make sure that everyone's getting what they need to out of the company and feel supported. And as the results come in, I see kind of how, how it's looking anyway. So it just feels, I don't know, it feels like I would twist it potentially by doing it myself. And the same as directors, obviously, as founders and directors, they would be obviously very passionate about what they do, passionate about the company. So I want to make sure that actually it's, we're getting a good reflection from what everyone else feels. And, and, and so, yeah, so that scores up to sort of 94, which is, is obviously really good. And from a client side as well, we've hit world-class. So when we first started the manifesto, we were down in excellence. So obviously we were providing a good service. We were sort of 50, 59, 60, 64 area. And the latest MPS has come around 80. So again, that's gone up to, to world-class as well. So we've, 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 it shows that actually, despite all the upheaval, despite all the changes that we've made from the manifesto and back to the original day when I thought this is never going to work <laughs> this is this is going to blow up it's just it's just showing that nothing has actually blown up and everything has succeeded it's, it's helped us just to become a more engaged team that just love what they do and it's shown from a, from a client side and from an internal um, sort of happiness side as well wow that's some achievement it almost you almost feel like you know how much further can we go if you're up there with the I internal know. Well, what is 100. the gap <laughs> What do you sense? Oh, sorry, what was that? That. Yeah. So, what do you sense would have you get to a hundred? Then, what what are the areas you you feel like you've got to work on? Yeah. Well, well, I suppose at the moment it's 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 one passive and fifteen promoters. So it's it's gonna literally we just got to turn that eight into a nine and we're there. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's next. I suppose the, I think one of the big things um, we we entered the the great place to work this year. Um, so. With, I think the survey went round in December time. So you get the results back and, and, and we've got some good results. And I think one of the only areas that did um, come back on was um, around sort of financial, financial side of things. And so that's where that kind of profit share does come into it. And so hopefully it will be that profit share type system where people feel that they are, now that everyone is really engaged and driving the company forward and we're seeing real success from all areas of the company, not just client, but internally and, and what we're doing to promote the culture, culture, not culture, culture, uh, now what we're doing is, uh, is, yeah, is, yeah, to actually start using that financial success to reward the team and making sure that everyone feels an equal part of Redco and what we're doing. So I suppose that is, that is the next step, really. Um, sort the financials out and just continue to refine on everything we're doing as well because nothing's perfect. Obviously, we're still, we're still in the early stages of all of this. It's only been going for sort of nine to 12 months now. So there's always going to be small tweaks and changes to things. We constantly want to get feedback from the team. We sit down with the whole team and do big sessions on right what's going really well, 
which bits can we still improve on? Let's get some ideas about how we can continue to change things. And I think we've got to a place now where everyone genuinely loves what they're doing and loves coming to work. And it's just making sure that as the company grows, we continue to hold that sort of passion amongst, amongst the team and, and the real engagement because it's all right when it's 21, but what about when it's 50? So it's making sure that as we grow, everyone still kind of believes in what they're doing and believes in that culture and, and can stay as engaged as possible. Right. So there may be some people listening to this who say, oh, this is all very well, you know, these, these creative types, you know, down on the South Coast or whatever, you know, uh, only, there's only 20 of them, how hard can it be? But I'm in this huge corporate and I've got an arsehole for a boss and, you know, how is any of this going to work in, you know, in my bubble? What's your response to people who are in a very different context to the one you're in? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not going to work for every business. So public sectors, for instance, you're never going to be able to implement all the stuff that we've done in, in like the NHS, all that kind of stuff. But if you're looking at a big corporate business where with the hundreds or the thousands, um, again, you've got to start small. So even when we started, I couldn't have just taken the whole manifesto and all the changes we wanted to make and roll it out in a month. Because again, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been too much. There would have been just chaos around the office. Everyone would have known what was going on, where people were, if they were working from home, if they were working at home, uh, working, yeah, working from home, working in the office, what hours they were working, if they're on leave, like who's my manager, who's my coach, who's my department lead, all that kind of stuff. So we had to take it slowly. And for someone watching this, either as, a, as a, an owner or a, a department manager or, or a team player, you've just got to take things slowly. So understand what it is at the moment that's wrong with that company, wrong with that organization, and work out what it is you need to do to twist it upside down. What is it that's holding people back? What is it that is kind of the core problem and the core issues? Is it that there are clicks in the organization? Is it that you've got managers who like to manage? Just, yeah, which is what we, we didn't want to have whatever it is that problem is in whether it's the framework of the business, understand what that is, understand what the dream scenario would be and then take it slowly. So literally prioritize it into what can have small sort of steps, small little steps to make a sort of the bigger, the bigger picture at the end of it. And yeah, we're very privileged to, to have a, a smaller team and the challenge is as we grow, as I said, to make sure that it continues to work and we don't lose that sense of culture. But as long as you're taking those baby steps and you're making one step at a time and everyone is on board and everyone really wants to actually be behind driving the change, I don't believe there's any reason why that couldn't happen. Yeah. A change, and also change comes from the top. So unless you've got the people, the MDs or the, the board of directors, whoever it is, unless you've got their backing and their support, it's going to be a real hard game to try and push that. Yeah, and that is very consistent with what you, know, you read about a lot of these cutting edge, for one of a better word, cultures is that um, for it to really gain traction, you, it's got to be from the top. Um, so I guess at that point, people have got a choice, right? If, if they're not getting the, the, the buy-in at the top, is it, is it a battle worth fighting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we spend so much of our time at work. So if you're not enjoying where you are, then, then why be there? There are so many other opportunities to, to find something that you would enjoy. Um, and if you're in a position where you can make change, then... Make, make that change where everyone will enjoy coming to work because you'll get so much more from the team by having an engaged workforce. Um, it, it's, it's crazy really how much things can change. Hmm. Okay, final question I like to ask a lot of my guests. Uh, for you, Luke, what does it mean to be human? 
Yeah, um, it's a great question. And for me, it's all around having, to be human is around having freedom and responsibility. So to be able to choose and dictate exactly how you live your life. So making sure that you have that real work-life balance where you enjoy what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, whether it's being at home with the family, whether it's going into work with your colleagues and having that freedom and responsibility to actually say, this is what I want to do. Um, this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make sure that I live my best life by doing it as I want. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So for people who want to learn more, you've got a whole series of blog posts, right? On the, on the revolution that you've led at, at Redico. Absolutely. Um, and that, and the URL for that is, uh, so the website is redico.co.uk and I believe <laughs> it's something like forward slash culture and you'll find a, a range of blog posts on there. Uh, I think we're up to, yeah, we're in, into sort of two, oh, I think around 20 odd or so, but basically it started from the beginning. Um, it gives the manifesto, all the ideas, the manifesto and where we wanted to go and just shows those small steps that we've done um, throughout the last sort of nine, 12 months and to, to achieve what we've done now. Fantastic. Okay. Well, just reminds that remains for me to thank you for your time. Uh, no, thank you, Richard. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I, I love these conversations where people talk about these ideas in real-world scenarios in successful businesses. Uh, it's just proof that we can orientate orientate ourselves differently in in business and and take on different approaches. And not only do they work, they work more effectively than some of the traditional ones absolutely it's all about mindset as i've said <laughs> i said a couple of times now but that that first kind of ground zero day when it was right you've got to do this luke and i just did not believe at the time that i could do this or it could work and so whoever's watching this now will probably have that same mindset and you've just got to believe that actually change can happen it can make a difference awesome all right thank you so much great. for your time have a thank great you Richard. Day. good to speak to you thanks luke bye bye <laughs> The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.